and welcome to Cinema Spectator, a show where an expert and a casual movie fan watch movies in the cinematic canon. Today, we are talking an end-of-year discussion. We're talking about 2021. Burn down the box office. This has been a pr- pretty terrible year for movies um, in general, and I would say <laughs> um, maybe one of the worst years on record. And uh, yeah, it's it's been it's been pretty bad. I don't think that's that hot of a take, uh, but we're going to talk about it, and we're kind of going to go into the details and and think about why this year has been so bad. Obviously, you know, there's some reason, but. You know, it's it's uh, it's an interesting turn, I would say, for the movie industry. But before we get into that, Isaac, Isaac, how are you doing? I'm I'm good. I'm doing well. I still Spider Man's gonna save 2021, baby. Here we go. Spider Man is gonna blow out the box office. It's gonna do great. I feel it like it could. It could. That's not a bad prediction. I I'm actually so excited to watch that movie. It looks like so much fun that they're bringing back all those old villains and stuff. So I'm hyped for that. I think that's gonna be awesome. I could not care less, but, um, you know, I, I'll, I might go see it. I didn't see any of the other Spider-Man movies in this run. So, um, maybe I won't, I, I probably won't, but no, I mean, yeah, you gotta, you gotta see at least, um, at least the other, the, the other two Marvel ones. I would say that the first one, um, Spider-Man homecoming, I really didn't like it at first, but it's grown on me a lot. I feel like it's one of those movies that actually can stand by itself besides the Tony Stark connection um, because he's a character in that movie, but he kind of just serves as like an outside influencing father figure for Peter. Um, and then the, the, the other one is just okay. That the travel one, I felt like it was less contained as a Spider-Man movie, but this new one, I mean, come on, they're bringing back, you know, Willem Dafoe as the green goblin, like just take my money at that point. You know, I'm still, I'm, I, I'm hoping that, you know, the other Spider-Men are in it, too. I don't even care at this point. That would just be so much fun to see them back on screen. And even if it's terrible, I'd be laughing my head off the whole time. Yeah, yeah for me, I, I just have no. Um, I, I don't know. I have no <laughs> no connection really to the to the older Spider-Man movies. Um, I don't really have uh, that much love for them. And and um, I don't know. I, I I just don't get excited about about this at this point and and I, I definitely out. look I I you know for me Marvel movies have definitely run their course um and I understand they're trying to 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 revitalize certain certain elements of it and and kind of do a do a look back thing but I I don't know just for me it's it's um doesn't doesn't get the juices pumping for me I, I oh, just I, mean- I just can't can't do it I, I really don't think that this movie is going to revitalize the MCU. <laughs> There's no doubt. For me, it's I think but, it's more of the, the memes. I mean, the Sam Raimi films to me are just uh, like legendary. Yeah, but so. but this is this is why I am not at all hopeful and totally actually cynical about this movie is because yeah there's there's definitely memes and obviously most of the memes come from Spider Man three. You know? Yeah. So. Yeah. But but the the. Like the way that they that Disney treated um, Return of the Jedi uh, with the last 
um, you know, the Rise of Skywalker movie with with the ninth movie was just so disgusting to me that I I can't I can't look at any like revitalization of old you know characters or old properties in the same way at this t- at this point and I and I just I just feel like this is this is a a blanket cash grab I I just. I don't oh. see it as I don't see it as anything more than than a cynical move to to get as many people into theaters as possible and and I have no faith that they're going to be you know um at any in any meaningful way um you know sincere about what they're doing I just I just it, <laughs> to me it's it's just it's it's blunt, it's pretty it's pretty out in the open what they're doing so but I sure. I don't care that's the thing I don't care about the old movies so so I mean, I don't have any problem with it, but I would say like if you're actually hungry for Spider-Man content, like what they did with like Into the Spider-Verse was just like jaw-dropping, like awesomeness, yeah. you know. Yeah, my, and I mean, a, a much better movie, but um well, I guess I don't know. But it 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 was Wait, have you it seen was, it? Into the Spider-Verse? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um I'm saying I don't know that it's better than the the new one, but I'm saying Into the Spider-Verse is probably the best Spider-Man movie hands down so yeah i don't know i i I agree with that and they're supposed to be making a new one but i don't know if the um those two directors are attached to aren't they brothers or something no uh lord and miller oh yeah um they just did the they did the um the lego movies which were really good and they did uh (laughs) they started the um they they directed half of the solo movie that's right. That's right. Yeah. Probably the, all the good parts, which yeah, I, didn't probably, hate, probably. I didn't hate the solo movie. I I don't know. I recently this week, I mean, I guess we could just get into this because we're at this point, but I, I watched, um, what was it? Right. Uh, episode seven, the Star Wars, that Star Wars movie. Uh, what's it called? The Force Awakens. And that movie is just stained by the, the legacy of the next two that it's kind of difficult to really enjoy um mm-hmm. it really does feel like when i'm watching it i'm like there's so much that's good but it feels like like a star wars fan movie unlike on youtube or something do you know what i'm talking about like how youtube had those like weird like star wars fan films that were like super high budget at one point before the new yeah. the new yeah. trilogy came out um yeah that but that's that's kind of what i found endearing about it um, for the most part, you know, mm. when it, when it came out was that, that it felt like it was a genuine, um, you know, it, it felt genuine and it felt like a, a love letter in, in a lot of ways to, yeah. you know, the original star Wars movies. So that, that didn't, that never bothered me. I, I knew I, that was definitely a complaint even back when it first came out was that it felt like it was kind of a weird, um, <laughs> You know, it didn't feel like a like a proper Star Wars movie in in a lot of ways, and it felt a little bit more like a like a fan movie. Um, but I didn't mind that. I I never minded that. So yeah, I just I, th- I, well okay. Um, not to get too sidetracked off the MCU discussion because we actually have a question from from Tim Smith oh, about okay. this very this very topic. Yeah. Um. So he asks. How long does it usually take for a particular genre to end its domination? 
What and what is your speculation on the new Spider-Man movie? Um, if it will revi- revive the sort of anticipation for you know the the comic book genre and MCU movies as a whole. Um, so in the first part, I would say um, it's pretty common to look at movies in terms of the decade. Um, and I'm not really sure why we do that. Uh, that, that was just my experience, uh, when studying film is we looked at it, we took it in kind of 10 year chunks. And that's not to say that there weren't sort of outside movies that, that came in and there weren't, you know, these, um, the, you know, uh, you, you, you definitely had outliers. Um, but in my experience, we always sort of defined a genre by sort of its 10-year span in a lot of ways. Um, and so for me, I think it's clear that the 2010s were the comic book movie genre. That That's yeah. it. Um, yeah. and, and I imagine in the 2020s, it's going to be something different. It's going to be defined as something different. Uh, but even in looking at the 2010s as the, the you know that defining genre we can see outside that there's obviously been uh you know 2008 with with the dark knight was you know maybe the start of it and then 2004 or 2003 or whatever when the first spider-man movie came out so like so like we can look outside to see sort of the influ- influence of other you know, genre movies that led to the culmination, but we really look at it from the 10 year period of, I would say Avengers to Avengers Endgame. Um, so, um, I, you know, that's, that's for me where I'm kind of capping it, even if there are successful and good, um, you know, comic book genre movies that come out in the next couple of years, I, I assume, you know, could be wrong, but I assume it's going to end with, with Endgame probably. So well, the, you know, it's also I, I do also think that there is a unique thing happening in in movies right now, and just in terms of like the box office marketplace and everything. Like, if superhero movies had the longevity to last, maybe I don't know another ten years. I think its lifespan was dwindled by the fact that what's going on is actually going on, like in 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 the box office, where you know. There, like, there are certain Marvel movies that came out this year that just have like extremely lukewarm reception, even if they are pretty good. I mean, I hear that the Legend of Shang Chi is like supposed to be good. I mean, I had no desire to see it. As a matter of fact, I know a lot of people that just didn't go see it that saw every other Marvel movie, you know, and it it did well. But I mean, we have some interesting stats on box office success, um, and it's it. it I mean. <laughs> It's kind of interesting, like, we, we'll we get to the list later, but, like, um, like Venom did better than Shang-Chi and the Eternals, and Venom is by, like, no means a, a good movie, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I haven't seen it, but well, <laughs> I've heard that it's, like, goofy, really weird. Well, um, and we were talking about this a little bit before, but obviously the success of the movies that had... Um, or I guess the international success of movies um, this year happened because of success in international box office. Um, yeah. And 
Um, Shang-Chi was an interesting one that uh, was obviously geared towards a Chinese market, geared towards um, that, you know, that marketplace, but was actually banned in China. Um, oh. And so it did not have a Chinese box office release. So Interesting. I'm not surprised that Venom did better because like that was a significant blow to that movie's box office potential. Um, Shang-Chi is the number one grossing movie in the United States though this year. Yeah. Right now. Which so. is again, not surprising if you consider um, the fact that it's number one in the U S but not number one, um, you know, internationally. So, you know, I, I don't, I don't, you know, I, it's, it's a hard one to, uh, I guess we'll go into it, but, um, I, it, I mean, it probably just, would have done, a, I'll, I'll just say it probably would have done a lot better if it got an, uh, got, if it got a Chinese release. Yeah. Yeah. And I do, I mean, to circle back to Tim's question, I do think that like superhero movies, what I, what I want from them is more of what the dark Knight like laid out in 2008 and, more of what you know logan pushed um as a superhero movie being like a little bit more unique or even like this is kind of a strange <laughs> reference but like something that brought like some unique light with uh, m night Shyamalan's um unbreakable right which is not even a movie that i enjoyed too much but like it was at least pretty different and to me like in my opinion like into the spider-verse there is so much creativity and life in that movie where so many of these Marvel films just feel so like run of the mill. Like I feel like I'm falling asleep before the midway mark, you know, um, I would at this point, and this is shocking for me to say at this point, I would rather watch another fast and furious movie than a Marvel movie, which is, is crazy because I actually find more like fun and sitting there watching Fast and Furious with cars flying off buildings and stuff like that, that like watching, you know, Hot Wheel karate, then, um, you know, whatever I'm going to see. Like, at least that movie is going to surprise me in some manner. Right. Yeah. Um, well, OK. So what I will also add to my earlier statement about we kind of look at it in, in terms of the decade. Um, that's that that is kind of how we break down. um you know, how we look at sort of historical influences uh, on film, on the film industry. But within genres, we do see what you're talking about, which is um, you have waves of um, seriousness, I guess, within a mm. genre. Yeah. And that's actually, that is kind of when you see the close and maybe reevaluation of, of a genre, which is you have, you know, first you have the sincere um, genre movies, then you have the sort of, uh, maybe most serious genre movies, and then you have, uh, the pastiche movies, and then you have the reinvention of the genre movies. Um, and that's kind of the, the general wave that you get with, with, um, you know, typical genres. You think about something like, uh, the Western, which is what I I often compare. I've I've been doing this for for years, but I've yeah, I've been comparing yeah. westerns to comic book movies a lot because I think they share a lot of similar um, 
um not not similar influences necessarily but they, they i think i see the trend uh in the same way but mm-hmm. um you know the western had its its very sincere early pictures and then it had its its most serious movies with you know we watched them like the searchers and and that kind of thing and then um and those were were very um it was pre um reinterpretation but post the sort of golden age, right? That's that's kind of where we get something like Logan. I would say, um, is in that is in that uh, that frame, and then we get um, we get the pastiche westerns and the um, the non-serious or maybe the spaghetti westerns, um, and and then that leads into the. Um, the more serious of those pastiches, which is the reinvention. Um, and so for, for us right now, we haven't gotten into, we've gotten it, we've gotten the pastiche, we've gotten the um, non-serious ones, we've gotten sort of the end of the serious uh, westerns, and then we haven't really gotten into the reinvent, or sorry, the, uh, the end of the serious comic book movies, we haven't really gotten into the reinvention era yet. Um, and it's worth noting that these don't always happen at the same time, or these don't always happen like as distinct phases. They can overlap for sure. Um, so I think it's fair to call, um, you know, it could be, it could be fair to say that, that something like Logan is maybe a reinvention or maybe a pastiche or maybe, you know, it could fall into some of these different categories, but, um, overall we haven't gotten to the, we, I think we've passed phase one and two of, of, you know, what a a genre's lifespan, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I do think that like similar to the Western, which we brought up, we did a Western month earlier this year. Um, you can kind, you can definitely draw the parallels if, if you're considering them. And, I think if you really love sort of the phase one Marvel stuff or maybe even some of like what the original Spider-Man trilogy was doing with like trying to become this phenomenon of superhero movies and actually having a like a drive in success. Right. I I think with Western movies, there's still a longing and a love for those early years. And every once in a while, there'll be a movie that comes out that like you can tell just like wants to go back to those days and just be an awesome cowboy movie and have fun with it. Right. Um, I, I don't know how, I don't know what year tombstone came out, but 92, I think. Yeah. Tombstone is like a great example of a more modern Western that I think is just phenomenal. I remember I saw that movie, um, when I, like when I wasn't really into Western movies, I hadn't watched a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And I was like, if this is a Western, I'm all about it. And I was really excited yeah. to go into Western month. And honestly, a lot of the DNA in Tombstone is just like revering and loving what some of those earlier Westerns that are well known. Yeah, a hundred percent. Well, and then that's, that's where, where we get into, you know, the Neo Western or the Neo, uh, noir movie. You know, there, there's definitely, um, you know, I think you got to get a little bit of time in between that. So, like, we couldn't have a neo superhero film right now. I don't think. Yeah. But um, you know, maybe in thirty years, so we could have a neo superhero movie. That's very much a um, a celebration of of that kind of that genre for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Good question, Tim. I 
yeah, it's hard to keep talking about superheroes because it's like, I feel like it's just such a, it's a topic that's just beaten over uh, and over again by a lot of different podcasts. I feel like there's not much more for me to add unless you are jumping on like the hype train of a review period of a superhero movie. And that's when like a lot of people are able to talk about something new and fresh, but like, like I'm not going to go back and sit here and talk about like Loki, you know, the Loki show or let's review Thor two right now. It's going to be like, geez. You know? <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> so, no, yeah, um, exactly. it, yeah. Well, I, well, let's, let's talk about, um, sort of this year in aggregate, because I think we have some, some interesting, um, interesting thoughts about sort of where this year has gone wrong and where things haven't been so well. And it's worth noting as well, we are not done yet. We are definitely not done yet. Um, there are some big releases happening in December yeah. that um, are notable. You know, I think Matrix will probably be a big release. Um, uh, obviously, you know, Dune did very well considering it's, it's you know, um, considering Villeneuve's track record, I guess. Um, but, you know, we, we're, we're still sort of gearing up for maybe the most um most hyped movies of the year and um they're all kind of coming out in the next next couple of of weeks so yeah no uh, i mean honestly like i've i've been pretty hyped to watch a lot of movies this fall and going into the winter i mean dune didn't disappoint i still got to see edgar wright's new film um i really want to watch it even if it's divisive like i like him as a director and my dad is like super excited for the new matrix. I don't, I feel like if you were, if you lived through the nineties, the matrix is like, uh, absolutely loved from that period. And well, I, I recently, um, because I was watching another movie, I, I saw the trailer. Um, I don't know. It looks just okay. Honestly. <laughs> yeah. I don't really understand. I think there's just a longing to revisit the genre. If I'm being honest. Um, uh, uh, yeah, maybe I, I, to me, I just, I don't know what it can do now that it hasn't done in, in the first matrix that I'd be interested in, frankly. So I, I'll, I'll probably see it. And, um, I mean, maybe I won't because if it comes out and it gets like terrible reviews, I don't think I'll see it. <laughs> That's kind of the to thing. Be on it, to I, be I honest, I didn't see the, I didn't see the second and third matrix. So I, I, oh. I don't care. Oh, I love I I actually I mean I know that people don't like those movies very much sometimes, but I think the second Matrix has some of the best like visual environments that feel like what you know we had that conversation about Interstellar recently where it's mm. like there's something almost spiritual about the visuals in that movie that are unsettling. Yeah. I believe that the second Matrix has that in a lot of cases and the way that they like kind of move through locations is really the settings are very like dreamy in, mm -hmm. in in experience i i think that movie is like very very cool it's it's definitely flawed but um yeah and then the third one is just super weird so i i don't know i kind of um there's something about like the john wick trilogy that i've always considered like a spiritual successor to the the matrix because keanu reeves is in it but there's also like this really deep like thick lore around the like guild of assassins and that move it's like you don't have to read into it but there's like some interesting elements to the world in that in the in those movies um 
so I don't know. Like I, I don't really, yeah, I don't really know what to think of, of the new matrix. I feel like maybe it's a little bit behind our generation, Cameron, because we weren't, we didn't go to those movies in the theater and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I saw it very uh, many years after the fact, so it, it could be, um, I, I don't know. I'm I'm he- hesitant to even say like I'm excited for it because I'm not really. <laughs> it's the yeah. thing. I, I just I kind of couldn't care less in, in a lot of ways. And I don't know. I'm for me, I know that a lot of the movies that are coming out in this next month are going to be these these hyped movies and are going to be this, you know, p- potential box office successes. But personally eh, there's not a lot that's coming out that i'm that i'm like super excited for i i uh um i think the new guillermo del toro movie is uh coming out this month right uh, i'm not sure but i've been thinking about him and i've been thinking about revisiting pacific rim because i really didn't like that movie when it came out and, oh i uh, i like that movie a lot i, I think i know really i know i've been considering just trying to go back and watch it um i saw this really weird breakdown retrospective on the transformers movie and how like the first one i don't know like he i guess he's gonna go through all of them and his like he was talking this is just a guy talking about it on youtube and he was saying like it's so strange how much effort was put into the practical effects of this movie and also how much love the the entire crew had for transformers when it was so separate from like the original cartoon and like how the movie's a disaster movie too, which is really weird if you mm. think about it. Um, so I don't know, like there's been, I, I had that fresh on my mind and I was like, you know, Pacific Rim is kind of a disaster movie somewhat, but it's also, it's a very weird movie. I need to revisit it, but. Um, I, I like Pacific Rim because it's very absurd and it takes sort of the, um, I take some of the more interesting elements of, of that kind of movie of like robots versus monsters. They're just the, the very base, um, stupid element of that. And it kind of, it kind of maximizes on that. Um, and I, I, I enjoy it. It's, it's a very stupid movie. I, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying it's like, it's like the greatest thing ever, but, um, I enjoy the, the sort of, um, it fully embraces what it is, I guess. Um, well, I like I, I like I this. That. I like the second one because I felt like it was even stupider. But maybe well, maybe I was just stupid. I didn't maybe see now. One, so. Maybe now that I'm like, you know, I just remember I, I was upset I couldn't see anything in the movie theater because it was so dark. And it was <laughs> raining, so uh, that's clearly not a very good critique, Cameron. I before we jump fully into the topic, looking at the year, I know we've been delaying a lot, but this episode is definitely more casual. Uh, oh yeah, I guess if we didn't say this already, we're just kind of talking, and we're, we're this is this is pure top of our mind uh, conversation. They should know it from the title and the description. We're, yeah. We didn't watch a, a movie <laughs> this episode. Um, I want to get your hot take. Uh, Tis the season, you know, is sure. Die Hard a Christmas movie, Cameron? Um. Well, here's the thing. I don't want to yuck anybody's yum in the way that people like to watch Die Hard as a Christmas movie. So I'm okay with that. I don't I don't mind if that's a tradition of yours. Personally, I don't think it has necessarily the elements that I'm looking for in a holiday movie. 
that I'm looking for in a Christmas movie. Um, and it's never been a tradition of mine to watch it around Christmas time. I think it's a great movie and I'm happy to accept it into the, you know, the Christmas tradition, if that's what we, we what we want to do. Um, but for me, I don't really, I, this is such a weaselly answer. I don't feel, I feel bad about saying this, but I don't, I don't, I, I can't really judge it as not a Christmas movie or as a Christmas movie because some people just have a tradition of being, of, you know, watching it around Christmas. That's, that's totally fine. I'm, I'm accepting of that. Um, it takes place in Christmas. It takes, like, here's the thing. People watch Harry Potter, uh, as like holiday movies, right? They watch the Harry what? Potter films. They do? Yeah. They, yeah. They're on like AMC or, uh, they're on like, uh, ABC as like, you know, this is holiday movies and whatnot. Um, I'd never really understood that because obviously they have a scene of, you know, being in Christmas most of the time for, for most of the movies, but they're not Christmas movies. Like I, I wouldn't consider them to be Christmas yeah. movies, but I can, I can accept them as sort of part of the Christmas canon. So I'm fine with that. If people want to watch them, as Christmas movies. For my, me, my <laughs> for me, I've got three essential movies that need to be watched during during Christmas time. Okay? Yeah, let's hear it. Okay, maybe just two essential movies, actually. I want to hear the third. I want to hear the third. I watch every year we watch The Santa Claus, which I think is mm-hmm. an an amazing, an amazing uh, Tim Allen movie. It's his best per- performance ever, <laughs> and he is the funniest, angriest children, most children hating that he's ever been, and it's it's <laughs> amazing and hilarious. And then we watch Home Alone, and yes. also a necessary um, movie. And then the third, more sincerely than than either of the the two other ones, but I don't watch it every Christmas, but you know I should. Is It's a Wonderful Life. So I think those three are kind of the canon for me in my life. <laughs> those are the canon holiday movies, personally. It, it, so. It's a Wonderful Life is is quite quite good, quite very good. I, it, I haven't watched it in so long, but I remember being very moved by it at a young it's age. It's an absolutely perfect movie and um, should be required viewing for everybody, I would say. Mm. I want to revisit it this year. I think I do. I, have to, I haven't do watched it. it in so long. So it. I, it's It's beautiful. It's... It's not really a kids movie and that's why I, you know I don't have like a tradition of watching it uh, necessarily because you know when we're kids we watch Home Alone and that's <laughs> that that's like the thing you know so I watched Home Alone 2 this last week and it is just I had just I mean this the first one is brutal but the second one that like <laughs> the the criminals are demigods like I have no yeah, idea how no, they're surviving legit, legit yeah um yeah I don't really love uh, Home Alone 2 only because it really is just Home Alone 1 again, but like way more gruesome. <laughs> yeah. What about the what about the pigeon hobo lady? You remember and, that? Yeah. And that is like not really a great subplot, although I kind of understand <laughs> it. But I, I don't know. For me, Home Alone 1 is perfect. It's a great package. It, it I should not be the- messed with. And Home Alone 2 is just a little too... Um, 
it's just it's just excessive it feels yeah. excessive yes yes i prefer the guy shoveling the snow out in the, that guy is awesome the old grandpa in the church yeah, and whatever. 100%. yeah yeah he's great yeah. no i always watch um national lampoon's christmas vacation that okay. I, there's something about that movie that um it's I, w- I was talking to Darren on the phone today because I called him about a question for the show and he was like, stop asking me. I'm going to pull my funding uh, if you ask me to, write, <laughs> to write, write a question. No, I'm just kidding. He didn't say that. He felt bad. He was like, I don't have anything. I'm like, it's okay. Um, but uh, we were talking about this and I was like, this movie, Christmas Vacation, is so difficult for me to watch this movie objectively. Like, because I don't know if it's a it's probably if you look at it like in a in an objective way there's flaws with it as a movie but it's just so enjoyable to watch a family like break down into chaos um because it's there's something extremely relatable about that Hmm. uh, as the holidays unfold and watching it the the older i get the more i realize how how funny the movie actually is with the (laughs) all the chaos that's happening in that in that film so Mm -hmm. um it's hard for me to turn away from that one i love that one uh I always like the Grinch cartoon. I'm not sure why. And yeah, Home Alone. I think Home Alone is the one I watch the most. To to circle back to Die Hard, my thought is like, you can say it's a Christmas movie, but who, I don't know anyone that actually watches it every year. And yeah, the people, that's, that's the other thing. The people that do, they just don't want to watch a Christmas movie. They just want to watch an action movie. And I cannot blame them. I cannot blame them, honestly. Yeah, I'm which, like, is, I get which is it. fine. I get it. Just don't try to tell me. I mean, like, it's like saying... Like, I, okay, the Santa Claus, like every movie and every sequel is going to be about Christmas, you know? <laughs> and like, it's not like Die Hard 5 is including Christmas, right, 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 you know? True. So, well, no, it probably will now because Die Hard 5 is going to be like a pastiche of the original Die Hard. So it's like, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be like, oh, it's going to be a, an actual Christmas movie. Cameron, but, you know, Die Hard 5 is, is, already out right whatever i don't i don't i've only seen the first one so (laughs) i think it's called yeah a good day to die hard isn't die isn't isn't uh die hard six out too who knows i I don't care i've i've only seen one die hard movie and that's all i need to see um oh yeah wait okay here we go i have the whole die hard everything die hardest that is (laughs) (laughs) that's die hard six I, I guess there's live free die hard into from 2007 die hard with Avengers 95 die hard two is 90 die hardest. I don't think is out. Oh, good so day it's to coming die hard is 2013. And then it says lethal weapon came out in 1989. I'm not sure what that has to do with die hard, <laughs> but, uh, and don't forget there's an Indiana Jones five coming too. Which I mean, th- uh, not to I, okay. I'm just, we're just gonna keep derailing. Um, so I'm gonna plug. Uh, this is Cinema Spectator. We usually review one movie. You can support us at Patreon.com/slash/ECFSProductions. Throw a couple dollars away, get an exclusive commentary track. Just like in November, we reviewed Dune. So if you want to hear our review of that, you can get access to that for just a dollar. If you don't have a few dollars, it's all good. You can just give us a rating, give us uh, support us on our social media, ECFS Productions. Tell friends and family. It all helps the show. And you can also have your questions read on air like Tim and JD and our producer who doesn't do it, but he could if he wanted to. Uh, that, that's at the $5 level if you're interested in that. Um, so yeah, those are those are all the benefits. Um, I was going to go off on a tangent about adventure movies because I was thinking about this where you're talking about um, 
the superhero movies, like did adventure movies adventure like I'm thinking about like Indiana Jones and like the mummy and I know that there's a couple other ones in there that I can't quite like maybe Jumanji counts. I'm not sure, but like yeah, it could be. Are, did adventure movies go through a similar phase? Because I'm kind of hungry for that. I mean, I saw the Uncharted trailer and I was like, that doesn't look good. But um, I well, wish that there was more movies like this, you know? So, so technically, yes. Um, but <laughs> it was a long time ago. And not probably not the adventure movies that you're thinking of. Um, so, you know, in like the late 20s, 30s and into the f- mid 40s ish um there was a series of of adventure movies um so uh, like the thief of baghdad is a is a very famous example but um adventure movies that were kind of swashbuckling um you know rough tum- you know tough uh, tough guys or whatever um and that that is actually what uh, Indiana Jones is based on is those those movies. So I want to um, see the good ones. I want to see the good ones from that era. There's yeah, got to be some I, good adventure movies from the 20s, right? Definitely. Um, and frankly, that's something that's an area of expertise that I'm not really that familiar uh, uh, with. So um, I would be I would be interested in going back and watching some of those movies because there, you know, it and it, uh, the funny thing is it did have those um a very similar streak of being the sincere movie, the, um, you know, the serious uh, adventure film, and then going through the phase of having sort of these, these terrible sequels and the pastiche movies and kind of um, fizzling and dying out with the, the sort of turn of the genre. And then, you know, like Indiana Jones, it has sort of this neo, um, you know, this, this neo expression of new adventure movies, um, and kind of a revitalization of the genre. So I um, just, cause it's like, it's, we know like as a modern viewer, right. We know that those movies are out there. We just haven't seen them. Cause mm-hmm. like you go to Disneyland and they have like the jungle cruise and obviously the Indiana Jones ride wasn't the Indiana Jones ride for forever. Right. Like, I don't know how when the Indiana Jones ride started, but it must've been something like the temple adventure or something. Right. Um, and so like, there's definitely a presence for adventure films and like, I don't, I don't know what they, what they were or what they were like, you know, but you think about, um, what was that? What was the tree before it was Tarzan? Wasn't it like the Robinsons or something like the fam- Swiss family, something, you know what I'm talking about? I don't at, at Disneyland. Oh, Swiss family Robinsons. Yeah. Maybe, yeah, yeah maybe. it's like about like a family that like has a massive tree house and they're like stranded on an Island. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I kind of want, I want those movies to come back a little bit. I'm, yeah. I'm kind of ready for that. Some, some adventure, some adventure movies that are exciting. I guess you could say that pirates of the Caribbean kind of has that energy in a weird sort of way. Yeah, um, definitely. Although, um, pirates is, is interesting. Cause I would say it's a sub genre. Um, mm-hmm. The pirate genre is mm-hmm. is a subgenre of the adventure movie, but it but it still really um, holds the same characteristics true. But um, I, I, the other thing is like adventure movies are very it's a very broad category. I'm talking sure. about like um, like I don't know like the Treasure of the Sierra Madre or like um, um, like Errol Flynn movies, basically like Robin mm-hmm. Hood is a, is an example. Um, so like things that are things that are basically um, 
movies about adventurous fellows, I guess you could say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know how how else to describe it. Uh, but you know, movies that are sort of about swashbuckling, uh, you know, folks who are who are ch- cheery and and um, and out to to sort of find something or out to to make something of of their their journey you know i i don't know i don't know it, it's it's still very broad but um you know so so technically you could say that a lot of movies are adventure movies quote unquote. yeah um, so, i guess it is it is i think the audience knows what i'm talking about yeah like kind of yeah. that Indiana and I, Jones I know sorta. i know what you're talking about too yeah. so which is why i'm i'm saying like i i could categorize certain things as adventure movies although you know obviously there's there's examples of there's very modern examples that you point to as being sort of in the adventure genre and also to be fair adventure is is a basic category of storytelling so sure, <laughs> it's not sure. surprising that we have we have lots of movies that would fall under that category so you know yeah yeah. Well, let's get into the topic at hand as we've been kind of dancing around it, Cameron. We don't I think we just kind of want to relay a couple stats and talk about the box office being uh, what it is in its current state. And I'm sure you're going to weave in some questions in there as well. And then at the end of this, we'll probably get into some of the films we watched this year. Quick thoughts on them and how, how 2021 is held up in our brains of watching movies. Um Cameron, do we want to kind of dive into some of these uh, global box office numbers? I mean, I think it's going to spark a pretty, a pretty clear conversation that we were discussing before we hit record. So, yeah, we can. Um, so, I guess first and foremost, um, I just want to say that this year, um, we talked. We were talking about this before the episode, right? Yeah. Okay. This year is the worst year on record since, or sorry, for domestic box office um since 1995 so mm-hmm. um that is or i guess last year was as well but i would con- yeah. i would consider them part of the same you know same issue but um you know this year and last both did worse than you know than every other year since since 1995 and to me obviously the the fact that theaters were closed and um you know we're in a pandemic that's that's obviously the main reason why um why it it has been so poor in the past two years though um should be turning around this year and i'm curious as to why it hasn't and i would say my my main argument probably what I've talked about last year and probably what I will continue to talk about um, for the rest of time is that streaming is basically, you know, the new sort of TV effect that happened in in the, you know, late 40s, uh, early 50s, along with the urbanization and sort of the spread out of people from theaters away from, from urban centers into um, suburban centers. Um, that was what caused the decline in theater sale in ticket sales in the fifties. And the same thing is going on here, right? We have a couple different factors, a large pressure from COVID from, you know, theaters being closed from specifically films being held from the box office, 
Um, and then at the same time, we also have the major, major pressure of movies being released day and date on um, HBO and on other streaming services. So to me, it's it's extremely clear that we are in a new era. Um, and there is basically at this point, I don't know if there's any turning back in the way that we look at movies and how they are successful. And I think you can see from the past two years that we, in, you know, more than 20 years, we have not seen these numbers. So we need to think about what, (laughs) what movies are going to be going forward. And I think they're going to probably look a lot different because of these couple of years. So it's interesting you brought up the disruption of Hollywood with, you know, the TV and urbanization and people moving to the suburbs, because I actually think that a lot of what's happening with COVID is echoing suburban life from the 1940s in a lot of ways where people are beginning to love being at home and they were forced to settle down. And so they're finding like good things with that and kind of a, even, even some of the people that I know that got married during COVID time, right? They, they're almost jumping in a way that's like, well, we have to sort of be stuck in one place. And so we might as well just settle down in some kind of way. Right. Um, not that I'm not, I'm not meaning that in a negative way. I think most of them were on the track to get married anyways, but I just, I think it's kind of interesting how there's this, um, there's an interest and a draw for people to be at home and involved in home life. And even as I, like my girlfriend's parents moved to a new place. Um, and there's like this explosion of young families who are just loving to be involved in their small local community. And they, it seems like they like those small little events. They like being a part of a a smaller space and then they go home and enjoy their, their home. Right. And I've seen that in my own life with my own family and, you know, with, with my girlfriend's family as well. It's like, there's even to seeing like LinkedIn posts this morning about how someone was like, Oh, my job is like waking up from seven to eight. And then, uh, you know, eight to, you know, nine 30 is like taking the kids to school. And then like nine 30 to 12 is like work time. But then I have like this small window for like walking and like eating, which is very relaxing. And then there's like more work and then there's a lot of family time and then a little bit more work at night. And then it's like, life is good. Right. That was like the whole post. And so I think that like, obviously the climate and the environment we're in, um, here in America is sort of promoting what might've been echoes of what we saw with what happening in the forties. And there was a lot of economic, uh, things happening in the nation at that time as well that were pushing for, um, kind of the suburban life. I mean, a lot of people think about, you know, think about games like fallout and like kind of the suburbia sort of, um, obsession that, uh, that had began to like seep into American consumerism and all that. So, um, it's, I don't know. I don't think it's anything that's like super new. And I do think, you know, as you brought that up, Cameron, I do think that that kind of shows um, for maybe those that are concerned about movies, like film has already survived a lot, right? 
And I do believe that even if there is a draw to be at home at a certain point, you know, those kids grow up. And at a certain point, there's a call to go to an event. I mean, I even the public public presence right now, and we're in California, which is pretty, pretty strict, right? Is you go to a public place where people are hanging out and eating and it's like a party, like every single night. Like people are so excited to be um, back at restaurants or going to like a Christmas tree lighting or something like that, right? Like it is, um, people are excited to be a part of those small things. And I do believe that um, going to the movie theaters is going to be one of those events that remains as something that like people can go and do that thing, right? That that they need to get out and go do that thing, right? So there, I think there's a good opportunity to movie for movie theaters to hold on. Um, I think they have to present themselves as events, and I think it sucks that you know Marvel movies haven't been able to jump back onto the event stuff because the massive conclusion of of those films has already come to an end, right? Yeah. But you look at the marketing, right? Marvel movies are like the number one event of the year, right? Like the TV spots are pitching it as an event for you to participate in, right? Um, that like the Loki Loki streaming is like, you got to watch this show. The marketing for uh, Legend of Shang-Chi is like, don't miss the global event, uh, the Marvel global event, right? So it's just kind of, I, I think... Your concern, Cameron, or your worry comes for the small creator or the small uh, movies that that are, um, you know, they might resort to being stuck, being sold to streaming services. But in the end, it might result in them actually having a chance to have their own event instead of a well, you know, here. Uh, I I actually don't think that's necessarily my concern because um, I mean, uh, one we are seeing more small creators, maybe not in the past two years, but, um, you know, through through the age of the internet, we are seeing more small creators um, be able to finance and be able to make their movies. And I think that's a great thing. I think, um, I don't think that's going to uh, stop necessarily. And I think even, you know, smaller studios or sm smaller producers have been able to pick up on the fact that people want these movies, want these strange, different movies. Um, my my big issue and my sort of main concern is that movies as a genre, or movies as a sort of medium, I guess, are going to become less and less common because they're going to make less and less money because it doesn't make sense for the business model. And the streaming platform is not going to finance a $100 million movie when they could finance five or 10 or 15, you know, one to $5 million episodes of a TV show because that's just more content that they can produce, more attention that they can get from the um, you know, from the audience. And here's, here's my, here's my big concern, I guess. We have seen, and like you've said, movies have become a, um, you know, have, have gone through a lot of evolutions and have, um, come out on the other side. One of the things that we see every time 
with these changes in the way that movies are made is a different maybe gimmick, a different sort of way that movies are presented. My hope <laughs> is that we the the change in the way that movies are presented is not that they are streamed to your TV and that there is something um, different that, you know, in the way that we show movies. And I just don't see that happening necessarily. So and I'll give you an example. So in the 30s, um, obviously the recession uh, or obviously the Great Depression um, happened in, in 29 and, and the 30s was kind of a uh, a massive slowdown for movies. And, and, it kind of, and it was until the late 30s and early 40s. What happened then? Sound and uh, some color pictures started to to come out, right? So you got these these big changes in the way that movies are shown. Um, in the fifties, again, we saw a, a slowdown. We just talked about it, sort of TV slowdown in in you know urban centers, uh, people moving out to the suburbs. What did we see? We saw instead of movies coming out in in um, academy ratio in four by three, uh, movies started to be shown in three side by side pictures called cinemascope. Um, that's where you get sort of anamorphic, uh, uh, film and where you get sort of this, this large widescreen immersive projection. What is going to be the thing of today? What is going to be the cinemascope or the sound or the color of today? Um, my fear is that it's going to just be streaming, um, and that's going VR. to VR. I don't. I mean, I. I. But I don't. I don't see that happening right now. No, I think no, what's I happening is movies are becoming movies in theaters becoming way less prominent, way less successful. Movies in homes and subsequently TV is becoming way more prominent, way more successful. So. That's my concern. Yeah. yeah, we'll see. I mean, I think one of the things we were talking about with Dune is that it's been a long time for me to like see a movie on the big screen and be like, there's no other way to watch this film than like the way that I just saw it, you know? Yeah. As a matter of fact, I was like, I need to see it on a bigger screen, like something even crazier, you know? Um, that I've never had that as an audience member. And I wonder if like theaters are going to be able to provide an experience that isn't quite IMAX, but is like immersive in a way that's like unattainable at home. Right. I think we're really leaning into this event thing because I even like there was an ad that I saw. I think it was for either like Black Widow or something like. No, it was for the new Ghostbusters movie. They were like, oh, you don't want to watch this on your phone. Like you need to see it on the big screen, like the way yeah. that it was meant to be watched, you know? Yeah. And I know that sounds kind of lame. Like some people are going to be like, oh, you got to watch it on your phone, you know? But after no, after, well, no, 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 no. Nobody's going to advocate for that. But people are going to meme the fact that, oh, you know, this is the way that, that the filmmaker intended, you know, which I get. I get the joke. It's, you know, it's that's fine. It's funny. But the 
there's a real sentiment there that actually, yeah, it is better to see. <laughs> like, what? It yeah. is better to yeah. see a movie in the theaters. You know, it's way better. Yeah, I have watched movies on my phone. And you know what? It's not as fun as like watching it on a big screen. You know, I'm, I think, I think what's difficult about the proposition of a theater is that we live in such a convenient oriented society convenience Mm -hmm. is like king um it is the number one like driving factor for a a customer to like basically hand you money because if they can have it like right now or as soon as possible with the least amount of effort the past the path of least resistance they're gonna go there right they're gonna be at that at that thing so I don't know. I mean, like I joked about VR, but maybe there is a way for VR to provide a movie theater experience that's unmatched, right? I'm sure that, you know, Facebook and Oculus are considering that you can go to the metaverse theater, kill me. Um, but, <laughs> you know, well, I just wonder, I just wonder how um, accessible that's going to be. I think VR is a niche and it probably might always be a niche. Um I don't see a mainstream adoption of that happening. I see I maybe I'm wrong. I could be naive and and not not uh, forward thinking enough, but um I don't see most people strapping a thing to their head and being like, "Oh yeah, this is the way I want to <laughs> I want to yeah. consume things." You know what I mean? I just don't, I'll tell I don't you see I'll tell personally. you right now like media consumption is not going to be something that is a invasive block yes. that's stuck on your 100%. head. It's that's why be people like, watch things on their phone. <laughs> because yes, it's, exactly. Because it's already in their hand. <laughs> right. It's going to be something like some sort of like holotech that turns your tiny, you know, 200 square foot apartment into an auditorium where you're watching the biggest theater, you know, something crazy like that. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I just for me, I see I see people streaming things as sort of the number one way movies are going to be consumed for the next decade to decade and a half um or more i just i just i don't see i don't see how things are going to change necessarily especially because now there was like this like covid was really the thing that that kicked things off for this because i would have argued that the studios have no incentive to put things on streaming i would have argued that two years ago right like i would have argued that march 2020 basically yeah yeah (laughs) um so like i for me the like the fact that covid happened is really the driving force in the way that that streaming is now like the dominant way that we consume media um, and it was happening. Like, I'm not saying it, you know, Netflix obviously was a huge thing. And 2019, we had the Irishman. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying the trend wasn't going there. I'm saying the studios didn't before COVID have, they didn't have a, um, a driving force to say like, oh yeah, we, we want to, we want to move our main movies day one to streaming. Like there was nothing to, nothing to indicate that back then. Um, it would it would have been a major risk and a big leap for for a studio to start that, um, and it's not anymore. It's common, and it's almost expected that major movies are going to come out on HBO or major movies are going to you know stream on Disney Plus day one. So I don't know. For me, 
this that's that's the that signals the end in a lot of ways of sort of the big theater experience. So I, but I don't want to be so dire because I do want to talk about, uh, well, maybe I do want to be dire because I want to talk about also the, the major international influence in sort of how this is all going down as well. Yeah. Just to close out the the conversation on streaming, Cam and I ran across an interesting stat uh, pulled from CNET. This is a quote that we, that we got off the internet um, from CNET. It says that the Irishman, uh, the period mafia, Uh, A period mafia epic directed by Martin Scorsese is at 215 million hours watched, ranking at the number one Netflix uh, viewed movie, right? Not necessarily TV show. Uh, Coming in second is The Kissing Booth 2, a teen rom-com sequel with 209 million hours. Six Underground, Michael Bay's Explosion Fest starring Ryan Reynolds is 205 million hours. Spencer Confidential, the action comedy starring Mark Wahlberg is at 100 and 97 million hours. So they're like ranking these these movies success by hours watched, which is kind of an interesting metric. Um, and it was neat to kind of come across that The Irishman is on top on Netflix, which it deserves to be there. It deserves to beat The Kissing Booth 2, which I, I have also watched. Okay. And it is miserable. <laughs> okay. It is that movie. That movie is actually a Spider-Man 3 for... Um, a generation. Well, so. I, I'm curious because um, this is a topic that we talked about. Uh, um, I, I don't remember when, but a, a couple months back, and and someone asked us like, how do we? I think it was Tim. Tim asked us like, how do we determine whether a movie's a, like a success or not um, when yeah. it's streaming? Um, obviously, we can look individually at sort of the watch hours, although. This I don't know how CNET got this information because Netflix kind of keeps things under wraps usually. Um, I, I can pull I, up the article. I don't really. I'm I'm not sure, but um, the the fact that the Irishman has 215 million hours, like okay, obviously that means something to Netflix, but it really, you know, I don't know how much of a number we can extrapolate from that in terms of how Netflix values that. You, you know what I mean? Like I, I just, I like obviously money we can see, we can see how valuable, um, you know, uh, fast and furious nine was by the number, by the box office ranking. We, we can intuit that probably they were happy with the, with the, you know, with the Irishman, but we can't say that it was worth the cost that it, um, you know, it was worth the budget necessarily. We can't say that, you know, 209 million, million hours. Okay. Well, what does that necessarily mean? I mean, I, I'm just not sure how we can, how we can extrapolate that. And I'm sure I obviously Netflix has a, has a method, (laughs) <laughs> um, but they're, we're not privy to that necessarily. So, um, that is, that's another concern for me personally that I, I just don't have any, any way to say like this was successful based on, you know, determining by its, by its budget. Yeah. You know, I, I'm trying to find that, the the CNET article currently, and there's a couple other lists that are sort of, um, disagreeing with it so maybe take that with a grain of salt 
But again, I mean that that just goes to show like these yeah. these numbers are are so, like super subject to to uh, not even just you know I'm I'm sure the CNET article had some corroboration, but it's probably changed in the past year. So who knows? I mean, I just I just don't know if we can if we can really tell. And I'm 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 skeptical of any way other than official you know sources other than sort of Netflix itself saying like. Oh, we're gonna green light a you know the next Scorsese movie, or we're gonna green light a Kissing Booth three. You know, like I'm I'm <laughs> unless they they give that kind of a green light or that kind of a metric, I just can't say that these movies were successful. And you got to remember, The Irishman, I think it costs like a hundred million dollars to make or something. Like it's not a cheap movie, so. How are they measuring whether or not it was a success? I just, I just have no idea. Yeah. So the numbers have been updated for 2021 on a CNET article that was posted on December 3rd and currently red notice starring Dwayne Johnson, Gal Gadot and uh, Ryan Reynolds is the, the highest watched. I, I saw some ads for that. And then bird boxes too. Mm. extraction with Chris Hemsworth, which also came out this year is three. Uh, just going in order. Red Notice, 329 million hours. Bird Box, 282 million. Extraction, 231. And then The Irishman at 215, uh, number four. So it's by watch hours for those. CNET's reporting on that. Um, and then they have watch shows with Squid Game capping out the chart there. Yeah, it's just... it's How many, how many hours is that? For Squid Game? Let's mm. see. 1.65 billion hours. So that's much longer than a movie. Right, exactly. See, that's that <laughs> that's the other thing that I'm yes. that I that I was saying. Um And I'm here's sh- another thing. I'm sure Squid C-Net- Game didn't cost like I I'm sure it costs like nothing to make compared to The Irishman. <laughs> Netflix had an old way of measuring popularity charts and they changed it in in this this last November actually. Um, with a different metric, according to the CNET article. Let me get the title for you guys if you want to look up and read more about this. Uh, the CNET article is under their text section. It's called Netflix Most Popular Shows and Movies Ranked, in, in parentheses, according to Netflix. And this was posted on December 3rd. Um, I think December 3rd. Wait. They have a tweet from December 3rd. This was September 27th, 2021. But for some reason, they haven't updated. It's been updated more recently because red that red movie whatever it was red something uh, that that came out after september i think so anyways anyways uh we should probably jump off the streaming tangent and get to the worldwide box office cameron um yeah well um how about we how about we do this before we move on um because this is a really interesting topic and it's something that I think we're going to talk about more and more. Um, I want us to think about, and we don't have to do it now, obviously, but I want us to think about a way to whether or not it's Netflix, um, you know, hours or whether or not it's it's sort of, you know, whatever else. I, I think it is important to have a number of sort of how a movie is successful or how successful is a certain movie. So, um Anyone in the audience, you know, I'm sure there's there's lots of smart people um, thinking about this and listening. Um, 
I'd love to hear anybody's suggestions about sort of what what we can do to sort of mitigate the issue of how successful a, a movie is, you know, streaming wise versus what its what its budget was. Um because it's um it's a solu- it's a problem that we we're, we're going to have to solve one way or another. It's it's something that we're going to have to look look at as um you know, as as a numeric. So, um you know, Squid Game maybe it could just be a straight ratio. I I don't know, but um Squid Game cost 21 million dollars to make. And um The Irishman cost 160 million dollars to make. Um so obviously <laughs> Squid Game is going to be much more successful to Netflix um than than The Irishman is just based on sort of the that ratio alone. So um, we can think about it and, and sort of maybe we'll talk about it more in depth, um, at some point, but it's just, it's just interesting to me. And I, I'm, I'm really curious to see how we, how we deal with this problem in the future. And especially the fact that Netflix is a company that keeps things pretty under wraps and doesn't really, you know, doesn't really, it, it keeps its, its cars close to the chest. So, um, you know. Something to keep in mind going forward into the future. But speaking of keeping things close to the chest, um, let's talk about the <laughs> the fact that all of the movies that have been successful this year have been Chinese movies. Um, and yeah, uh, how um, maybe that's not such a good thing, and maybe that should be concerning to to some of us. Um, I don't know, but. To me, the the reading off this this top box office list um, and seeing you know you know either these movies had a substantial release in China or they were Chinese movies. Um, you know the the Battle of Lake Changjin is you know the highest grossing non English movie of all time at nine hundred million uh, nine hundred million dollars. Um, so more than the Avengers Endgame. Um, you know, so, (laughs) and another thing to note is that it's ranked number one worldwide and it does not place anywhere, probably in the top 50 of movies in the domestic box office. Right. So I don't know about you, Isaac, but I'm a little concerned (laughs) In the fact that obviously China is the second biggest market of yeah a biggest film market, and obviously there's a lot of of people in China, so it's a it's a massive market. It's probably way bigger than than our market just in raw numbers. Um, but really the the question and sort of the the conundrum that we're running into at this point is, um. That the Chinese market is very controlled, very consolidated in a handful of companies. And the influence of the Chinese market on the American film industry has been a concern for a very long time, is still concerning to a lot of people, me included, and is something that, you know, you remember that Red Dawn remake? 
Um, yes. Back in like 2012 or whatever. Well, they, they you know, to in order to release in China, they literally have, they've replaced the bad guys in the Red Dawn remake from being Chinese to being like North Koreans. And so like, so like there's just like in a lot of other things that, you know, get a release in, in the Chinese market, there are strict and heavy controls um, on what can be said. And I find that very uh, concerning, personally. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, when it comes to art and creative properties and, you know, Cameron and I are both American, like freedom of, freedom of speech is, is golden. It's very important in, in being expressive. And I know a lot of other um, nations around the world would feel the same way. I mean, any of the French cinema we've watched is just attempting to be at at most like or at least offensive right <laughs> you know try trying to like express itself or, and or say, just, not just offensive but you know push the boundaries in a certain way exactly sure. yeah exactly trying to tr trying to not be silenced and say something um meaningful right and i think the concern around china is not a concern around like the population of china right there's no doubt that the population of china just because it's big shouldn't you know have access to media shouldn't have like it should it's a great market it's a big market the problem is that the government is an oppressive communist state right that's that controls what people say i mean i'll never forget when uh you know episode nine came out and they like shrunk finn because he was black on the cover <laughs> yeah i mean like yeah, you can't you true. can't like you can't say you can't even apologize for that at that point you know i mean if you're american like the conversation around race has been extremely charged and you know racism is bad and there's a lot of conversation around that here um how can you ignore a government that wants to shrink you know an african-american presence in a movie right like that's that's pretty extreme right um, even to the point that, you know, we were looking at some of the movie, like, I don't know why, you know, Shang-Chi was, was, uh, not released in, in the global sense, but, um, yeah, it's, it's surprising, you know, I, and I was saying before we started recording too, right? Like the battle of, how do you say this? The battle of Lake, what is it? Chang-Jin? Chang-Jin. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of, I'm like, for me, I'm like, well, gee, I kind of feel like I have to watch it now. Cause it's, I mean, apparently it's grossing more than um end game and i'm kind of curious to see like what it's about like where where is it making all that money or what is it just because there's such a massive population in china maybe right i just um i don't know i think i think the free like the freedom of expression in the art form is what is sort of under attack with that and you know if star wars wants to have a black protagonist and put him center stage like i'm okay with that you know like i want movies to be able to do what they want to do right um so it's it doesn't mean that everyone has to you know enjoy what movies say or are at all times like i've learned that more than anything on this podcast but you know suppression of that is 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 a little scary i think um, yeah definitely i just want to clarify sorry um Endgame made a lot more um, worldwide, but I was I was talking about specifically domestically. Endgame made I think like eight hundred million dollars. Um, so and, yeah, and it cracked a billion worldwide. The, and the thing is, like I I would consider most of the 
um, box office numbers from uh, the Battle of Changchun, uh, uh, the Battle at Lake Changchun, uh, to probably be domestic from you know from China. So I, I don't I don't know how much uh, world you know obviously the number is the worldwide gross, but I don't know how much is domestic versus international. But um, let's read let's read through the top ten just so people know because we're, yeah. we're looking at the list, but they don't know. So top 10 uh, highest grossing films of 2021 uh, worldwide. Number one is uh, Battle of the Battle at Lake Changjin, uh, which is what we were talking about. Nine hundred five nine wait nine hundred million. Um, you could round up maybe to a billion. Number two is High Comma Mom. Hi Mom. Um, this is also a Chinese film. Eight hundred twenty-two million. Number three, No Time to Die. Seven hundred sixty-four. Honestly, Which is very respectable. Very good. I no time to die. You gotta see you gotta see this movie. I, I want to talk about this film. I think it's really good. Um Fast Nine, uh 726, so a little bit behind. Um Universal kind of popping off this year somehow. Mm-hmm. Still. Uh Detective Chinatown 3, also a Chinese uh film, 686 million. Uh and number six is Venom. At uh, number seven, Godzilla versus Kong. At number eight, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Number nine, Eternals. And number 10, My Baby Boy, Dune. <laughs> I've, been th- I've, been, I've been quoting uh, The Godfather. Look how they massacred my boy. I've been saying that a lot <laughs> lately. I don't know what it is. Yeah. But. Well, interestingly, too, um, uh, this is, does not really count because it's not a tw- 2021 movie, which is why it wasn't necessarily on this number but on this list um but uh avatar had another release had a re-release in um uh, in china and then and is has surpassed it was the you know the highest um uh the highest international released or wor- worldwide gross um uh back when it came out and then it was passed by avengers endgame and then now it's past Avengers Endgame again because of its Chinese release. So I hate that movie. It Why continues is that movie? to be the highest grossing movie of all time. <laughs> I do not understand that film. Who is watching that movie over and over and over again? I don't. Well, I mean, it just came out in the or not just came out, but it came out again in the Chinese box office. So, <laughs> yeah, that's that's who. <laughs> yeah. And just just to kind of uh, compare. Right. Top 10 domestic. Uh, currently, of course, we're not through December. Spider-Man hasn't come out. Matrix hasn't come out. Um, but Shang-Chi and Le- Legend of the Ten Rings is number one in the United States with Venom, Black Widow, Fast 9, A Quiet Place Part 2. It's kind of cool. And number five, uh, No Time to Die, Eternals at seven, Free Guy at number eight, Jungle Cruise at nine, and number 10, Ghostbusters Afterlife, which will probably climb higher. What an awful, awful year. I mean, just disastrous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it is uh an interesting li- honestly like from those top 10 just domestically cameron have you seen any of the, like do you have any i've seen literally of none of them well i would say see no time to die that's the one i would say that's that's the movie you gotta watch if you're looking for a good action movie that one is like hands down a great action movie and i know you don't like spy stuff you don't like james bond but um I liked it. Yeah, I yeah, I've seen I've seen literally none of these movies and I don't want that to change. So <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, that tells you how separated you are from uh, the general audiences, Cameron. Well, I do want to talk about, and maybe this is sort of a good segue because um, the movies that uh, that I have seen, again, I probably wouldn't even really, <laughs> I wouldn't even really recommend most of these because um, you know it's been it's just been an awful year. Can we just talk about how it's been such an awful year for movies? It's been so bad, probably worse than last year almost. Maybe not. Well, but. I j- for me this year has felt extremely glazed over, minus the shows the the movies I've watched for this podcast, um, which. I just want to shout out this year we watched um, Jennifer's Body, which we've talked a lot about. I loved um, uh, what what's his name? Um, the guy who did The Apartment and Witness for the Prosecution. Billy Wilder. Wilder. I knew it was W. I was thinking of his last name. Um, Tim, to Tim's Joy, we watched 2001, which was great. Children of Men, awesome. I finally got to watch some of The, uh, the Godfather 1 and 2. Um, which I have mixed opinions on, but at least it's <laughs> off the list. And uh, Red River, which is a great Western. And uh, um, Howard Hawks just blowing me away, even though I was a skeptic up until that yeah, moment. you were. Um, the Good, the Bad, the Ugly, just amazing. Parasite, I'm glad I caught up. And um, Prisoners, those were like all highlights for me this year. So I don't well, feel and like... Don't, don't forget about memory, uh, Memories of Murder and Mother as yes. well, you know, as, yes. as sort of... Um, you know, as as Korean Korean month, which we continue to talk about as being sort of a highlight of this podcast, which I, I kind of like. Yes. Um, no, most definitely. Most definitely. But it, just compare that epic list. OK, <laughs> to the movies that I watched this year that made me feel just absolutely empty minus Dune and No Time to Die, which I do believe are fantastic. I watched uh, Black Widow, which I felt absolutely nothing throughout that entire movie. I watched Wonder Woman, which I think I fell asleep, if I'm being honest. I watched that at home. Um, I watched Free Guy and wanted to just um, evaporate like Thanos finished me off uh, watching that with the amount of streamer cringe that was in that movie. Um, Godzilla vs. Kong, not going to lie. I actually enjoyed it. I thought it was kind of stupid, but it was fun. Uh, Snyder Cut, I loved it because it hurt Cameron. And uh, Fast and well, Furious. Okay, come on. It was all right. It was not <laughs> terrible. Well, no, the it was, Snyder Cut. There was some bad stuff in the Snyder Cut. But, oh, no, but, no. The, but uh, I overall, it I liked it better than the original. So, you know. Yeah. No, no, no me too. Uh, and then I saw Fast and Furious 9. I, l- I don't remember very much about the movie. Just, I think that was the first movie I went back to after COVID, I think. That was the one I returned to the movies to, so it was kind of a positive. What about Tenet? Oh, no. We, I didn't you see, watched I didn't it at my, Tenet. my house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I saw Tenet right, at okay. your house. Yeah. Right. Um, so, yeah, overall, to be honest, like, the end of this year has been fun for me yeah. in, in terms of the movies. Like, just as a casual, I was really surprised by No Time to Die. You know what's so and funny, Isaac? Th- this is your whole list for, for the year? Yeah, that you saw yeah. in theaters. Uh, I don't for think I Snyder saw... cut necessarily, but um... yeah, I did see Snyder cut in theaters. I did not see uh, Wonder Woman in theaters. I did not see Godzilla in theaters, and I did not see Free Guy in theaters. So I think okay, I've seen so like, like four like, movies, okay, four or five okay. movies. Yeah, because um, I was gonna say I was like, wow, that's that's pretty impressive because I've seen 
almost as many movies as you in theaters. <laughs> so, but but it's it's not true because because you you've watched like four or five or whatever. But yes. um, um, yeah, no, I mean, it, uh, like you said, the last part of this year has been more good than the other parts. <laughs> but uh, Dune, baby, yeah, it's basi- all Dune. basically just Dune right now. And uh, Licorice Pizza, which I've seen. But, um, uh, I mean, like, literally everything else has been has been a disaster, basically, from, <laughs> from, the, from, from this year. It's, I, I'm, so, I'm so depressed about this year. I, I can't even tell you. It's like, it, I, looking at my list, I'm like, oh, my gosh. This is just, this is just, this is just terrible. So terrible. Do you want me to? I'll, I'll read off my list because. Yeah, let's do um, uh, so I watched Annette, um, which is with uh, Adam Driver um, and Marion. Oh, is that Cotillard. Good Soup? Is that the Good Soup movie? No, it's the musical. Um, <coughs> terrible. It's really <coughs> bad. I don't even dislike musicals, but it's it's bad. Um, the Card Counter, which I was pretty met on and and looking back on, I just think it's it's not very good. Um I like Schrader and Oscar Isaac. Obviously, I really like, but um, I don't know. It just it just does, did not did not do it for me. Um, Cry Cry Macho, which surprise I didn't see that in theaters, but which surprisingly I um, I kind of enjoyed more than I thought I would, even though it's not a very good movie. Like probably an objectively bad movie, but I kind of enjoyed it. Um, I had a I had an all right time. Um, Dune, which you know, we've talked about and I love. And I think it's really good. Uh, the Green Knight, which I also really liked. Um, and I think it's, um, yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a genuinely good movie. Um, and it's probably one that we'll talk about more in depth, maybe. We'll see, I guess. Um, Judas and the Black Messiah. I guess I saw that this year. I don't remember, but yeah. <laughs> um, I think I put it on my end of year last year because (laughs) last year was so bad. But um, yeah, I I don't know. It's I don't think about that movie at all. So Um, last night in Soho, which I was genuinely disappointed with. um, And um, I like so much of what it has to offer and I dislike a lot of it. And um, I would also be interested in talking about it with you, Isaac. Um, Maybe we could do it as a bonus. It could be fun. Um, I have, I mean, I have low expectations. I don't know if I'm going to get around to seeing it this year, but I think it will be good to go in with low expectations. Yeah, so. I, th- I think so. Yeah. Um, uh, Licorice Pizza, which I just saw on Saturday and is probably my favorite movie of the year. I think, I think it's, I think it's really, really spectacular. Um, I, um, I kind of went in with high expectations. I kind of was excited for it. Although, to be fair, this year and last year has shown me that even my favorite uh, and most uh, respected filmmakers can can do terrible things. Um, and and there's been like a stack of of directors in the past two years who have made movies that I've thought were were really not very good. Um, <laughs> so so i i didn't really ha- i guess i didn't have that that high expectations for it and i just i thought it was so good i i l- genuinely loved it we're gonna i think we're, we'll definitely watch it because um it's man it's so such a good movie um 
Pig, uh, which is really great, and we might have more to talk about later. Mm. Um, and Titan, which again is is very good and not <laughs> really probably a movie for Isaac, but the is sequel very to awesome. Titanic that we've been waiting for. No, no, but it is. Um, it is a very strange, odd, awesome movie. Um, Do you want to know something, Cameron? Yeah, I've never up? seen the Titanic. Um, hey, you're Do you want to know you're why? Not Do you want to know why? Because there's. I'm pretty sure I know how it ends. That's why. Hey, I'm pretty sure I know where it's going. Nice, um, good one. So why would I watch that movie? Why would anyone <laughs> watch that movie? And I'm being honest with you. Like, why would? What do you expect is going to happen? So I'm just confused. I don't know why anybody was like, I need to go see that movie called The Titanic. I wonder what's going to happen in it. You know? It's a love story, okay? It's a love story. Whatever. Whatever. So, yeah, that's that's my list. It's been just a bad year. Just a terrible year. And I think maybe I, I, I'm, gonna, I'm excited for West Side Story. I saw the trailer. Man, it looks really good. Looks really good. I, uh... Pretty stoked for it, honestly. I think it's going to be great. Um, I don't know, West. I don't know what that is. It's a musical, you know, but it's by Steven Spielberg, so it's going to be awesome. Um, Steven Spielberg didn't he do that Ready Player One? I didn't watch that. (laughs) I didn't watch that either. (laughs) Yeah, so it's going to be awesome, dude. Yeah, but it looks, but it looks really good, and the the trailer is pretty pretty cool. So. yeah, I just, man, this year is depressing. It's really depressing. It's been a year, man. I mean, my light died when you were reading your list, Cameron. That's how <laughs> That's how sad it was. I mean, I, I, my face has become dark currently, so. I don't know. I mean, we're at an hour 30. It feels like it's been a second since we started recording. I know, This right? is what happens yeah. when Cameron and I, like, actually riff. This is what our normal conversations sound like, where it's like, wait, we've been talking for this long. We should probably, you know, go. We should leave the restaurant. They're closing, Cameron. They've already started mopping. Yeah, it's baby, time to leave. Yeah, I know. You know? Um, I don't know, Cameron. Do you want to do a couple questions and we'll close out? Yeah, I think so. Casual episode. Let's do it. I think. I mean, I think our our feelings are clear on it. Um, yeah, I I don't know if we, if we have anything else um, to add to to the conversation we've said, but let's see if any questions bounce off or if we just kind of dive into a couple of last topics. Yeah. So. Um, so I guess Tim, well, we, uh, Tim has another question, but, uh, kind of along the same lines, but he says, what's the state of film in 2021 going into 2022? It's been quite a year for black and white films and musicals. Um, what sort what of, ta- what are you talking about? Black and white? Th- what? Well, I mean, I think, I think for sure musicals, I, I don't know. I'm not sure. I can't think of any black and white films. Um, but definitely movies that are in like four three and like kind of you know looking back on sort of classic uh, classic film and classic cl- sort of Hollywood genre yeah. pictures. Um, I don't know. I think can, is what can, he's talking about. Hey, come, come on. Hey, Tim, Godzilla versus King Kong. Tim you know, gives that us, was not in four by Tim's three. Gives, right. gives us money, so you can't <laughs> criticize him. Okay. Um, I can say whatever I want. Right. What's the cause of sort of the clump of of studios making and releasing sort of similar movies? Um, for me, I look musicals have been a thing that basically every year there's been a musical um, for the past, like, I don't know, 
50 years or whatever. So like, I, I don't, I don't know if it's, it's necessarily a clump of movies like that. I think it's really just a hangover from, from movies being delayed from last year. And, you know, I, th- I think that's pretty, pretty reasonable to say. And I, you know, we talked a, a lot about the state of movies this episode. So, you know, we can, yeah. we we won't go over it again, but it, I mean, literally the state of movies is like catatonic. So <laughs> it's bad. <laughs> it's not, it's not good. That's the state of movies right now. Um, Juzo says, "Toby Maguire, he's going to be in that one. I'm, he's going to be. In that I just, spot. just shoot me. Just take me out back. Toby Maguire okay? saves movies. <laughs> Toby Maguire saves movies again. All right. Hey, guy, remember my performance in Great Gatsby? All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Juzo. Juzo says, ask Isaac, why do movies have to be fun? And to you, why is it okay for them not to be?" Uh, why do movies have to be fun? Because life sometimes isn't fun. And if I'm sitting down to relax, I don't want to torture myself. That's why. Uh, you see, I think it's pretty clear. <laughs> There's a huge separation between you and me, Juzo, because like to you, there's like an academic study. And I, I respect that. There's almost something surgical, like a surgical examination or the postmortem on specific films for you. And of course, I enjoy aspects of that. I do this podcast every week. You know, I think that's that's something that's very fun. But in most scenarios, like just the the list of movies I listed that I watched this year, not one of them is a challenging film. Not one of them was one that was going to, you know, uh, force like put me into a state of deep analysis. I have enough of that with this podcast. And Cameron and I have actually talked off air about like maybe the dangers of that, you know, being on a podcast and losing kind of a personal drive to dissect films and whatnot. So for me, it's almost a necessity for movies to to be fun because it's like I I I am usually using my free time to watch them, you know? And so um it's not that I don't use my free time to work, but it I don't prefer to do work when I'm watching a movie, you know? I think that's it's it's um I I don't know. Like I I don't think it's something that really needs to be um, defended so much. And actually, Juzo, I've been thinking a lot about. You mentioned a friend that you had that goes to the movies and says, "Wow, that was awesome." No matter what happens in the movie, I've been thinking about that a lot. Okay, I've been literally. You you said it like as a side note on a podcast. You know which friend I'm talking about, and I've been thinking about that a lot as I, I as I went to go watch certain movies and I and I went to go see No Time to Die which I don't have any sort of reverence for James Bond and I went in and I was like you know what it doesn't matter what's going to happen in this movie I'm just going to go watch it and say wow that was awesome I don't even care what happens in it you know and so maybe my recommendation for the film is bad but it was even better that the movie was actually really fun and I was like I just want to watch more movies that way you know, I actually think the more I watch, the more I want to be like your friend who doesn't overanalyze. He just says, wow, that was awesome. And um, yeah, I'm I'm drawn to that a lot. So it's not it's not to say that I won't enjoy a movie that's heavy or difficult. You know, I mean, I've never seen um, what's that film that is like number one rated Shawshank Redemption. I've never watched Shawshank Redemption. Right. Um, and I'm not going to say that that movie is fun, right? There's probably, it's probably not. I don't know anything about it, to be honest. That's actually a movie that has never been spoiled for me. So please don't do that. Um, 
Oh, don't tell Tim that. I mean, geez. Yeah. <laughs> but um, like, is Shawshank Redemption a movie you can watch every week? Probably. But like for me, if I'm sitting down on the couch, like I should watch something tonight. I usually flock to something that is in my mind going to be fun to watch. Right, I, I think right. it's that simple. Well, well here's, here's my argument. I just want to take your own words and sure. use them against you. So you Great, said, I love that. <laughs> you, you, we talked about the movies that, um, that you watched for this podcast versus the movies that you watched in the year, right? And of those movies, in the ones that we talked about from the podcast, were things like Prisoners, were things like, you know, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, and The Apartment, and, you know, these movies, and Children of Men, especially, these movies yeah. that are not necessarily fun. Right. Movies that are not particularly enjoyable necessarily to watch. Um, and all of those movies, I would argue, and that what probably you said to me is that all of those movies that you watch for this podcast were way more meaningful to you and things that will last a lot longer than the movies that you watched for this year that were just fun and stupid. Um, so that's my argument is that, he, sure, yeah, movies. Not all movies are fun, but some a lot and not not all, but they're definitely not fun movies that elevate to a level that have um, that the fun movies just can't can't elevate to. I, I just to kind of maybe counter <laughs> a fun movie does not have to necessarily be like not dark. Does that make sense, Cameron? Like in in my mind. Batman is a dark film, but it's still fun. Do you know what I mean? Like there's something about that movie that is fun, even though it's very serious. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know how to quite quantify that. So when I, when you say like the good, the bad, the ugly, I actually think that movie is a lot of fun, even though it is serious. You know, I do think it is. Yeah, like I, I mean, I, I'd probably a, a good, even, even a movie like Parasite, like to me, that movie has an energy about it that is very, very fun and engaging. Yeah. Um, and I do have Red River on there. Um, I do. I mean, Children of Men is heavy, but I don't. There's some. I think Children of Men is uh, Children of Men and Prisoners are probably the two that are like least fun and most serious. I guess. I don't. Yes, they're serious. But uh, I, I mean, maybe I am like stepping on a landmine. I do, I do think those movies are difficult to watch and not have that kind of popcorn munching energy. I'm not entirely sure how to explain it. Um, yeah, that's true. Villain, but they're also extremely meaningful movies. Um, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I, I agree. And way agree. more than I just, No Time to Die, probably. <laughs> they, they are more meaningful than No than No Time to Die. But somehow there's a relation in my mind with watching, you know, um, like prisoners where I'm like, just, oh my gosh, like I'm watch I'm watching this and it's like, I'm, I'm actually really drawn in by this movie. And I sort of felt that same energy with no time to die, which I was actually surprised by prisoners. I'm not surprised that I felt that way. No time to die. I was surprised that I felt that way yeah, watching yeah. it. Right now, uh, I don't know. I think I think Juzo watched No Time to Die, and he 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 thought it was really good too. Even though I don't think it's a perfect movie, I do think it is. Um, 
quite exciting. It's, I don't know, my dad was watching Mad Max Fury Road, and that movie, to me, is another movie that's just like... That is kind of an aberration, and is basically the one movie where I completely agree with you, where it's it's literally just like pure action and thrill, and has like basically... Uh, not very much of substance but it is just like is like pure form and is amazing and and but but there's there's totally not a lot of movies like that like and you but, you have to admit that there's there's yes it's basically like one out of you know a thousand movies it's like fun fun movies are not meaningless though some i'm not no, saying I, I like meaningless movies i'm saying i like I like movies that make me want to eat popcorn and have fun watching them. You know, I don't know how to like, and so maybe it is a subjective thing, but I, you, yeah, you did yeah. get me there, Cameron. I think, I think I see what, what you're saying with my list. I don't know. Witness for the prosecutions on there. And that movie's a good, jolly good time. Totally. Yeah, so, totally. I, and I, you know, I, like, I think Wilder movies are again, sort of an aberration. Why he, for me is, you know, well, one of my favorite directors, if not my favorite, is because he is able to balance a, you know, in the same way that like Bong Joon-ho is, he totally evokes that same emotion of balancing the dark, the, um, the serious and the absurd, the lighthearted, the, the fun and, and sort of wraps it all into one package that is, is just like totally enjoyable and, and you can sit through. And, you know, it is just like, you know, it's just amazing all, all around. So I, I like I'm, I'm not saying that there are not I like fun movies. I do. Um, but I also like dark and and um, serious movies as well. And I think I guess one of my. It's I, it's not really a pet peeve, but for me, I, I think movies that are that are not as fun can still hold and maybe probably more so hold a, an air of, of um, talking about something very serious and very, very consequential as a result. I will. Yeah. I will say that prisoners, I'm just, I'm laughing in my mind trying to think of how I can justify it as a fun movie. That movie is dreadful. That movie is actually dreadful. That movie is like the definition of dread, I would say. Yeah. But yeah. it's so mystical. I can't, I don't know. That movie It's was, awesome. You can say it was, it's it awesome. Great. And it is awesome. It's thrilling, yeah. but it's not fun. It's not a fun movie. <laughs> there's no way to justify it as a fun Come on, movie. It's a family movie. It's about a family, right? Well, and, <laughs> and Children of Men too is like thrilling and and exhilarating but it's not a fun movie and it's very dark and it's very serious um but you know just the just the the but th that's what that's what i mean it's like there are these movies that that take on these these extremely heavy topics with a with a um a finesse to them that i think that i think is worthwhile and i think um is awesome and 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 you know uh I give credit to directors and to people and to movies who are. We just talked about it. We I talked about how I like, um, what what's that? Uh, Pacific Rim. I like that movie because it's fun and stupid. You know. Yeah. <laughs> so like. Yeah. So like I'm not I'm not averse to those kinds of movies. I'm just saying, do I think of you know of my favorite movies of of you know all time or whatever? Am I thinking like Pacific Rim? No, not really. But I am thinking you know, maybe of prisoners or I am thinking of these serious movies that are, that are, you know, 
much more consequential. So that that's just that's my that's my answer. So I think you can just I mean, if you're a Beatles fan or if, you know, you have any preference to the Beatles, you can almost relate it to their discography where you have a record from the Beatles that you're like, that is the best Beatles record. And if you've listened to enough of their discography and decided that, I I bet you there's a lot of Beatles fans that disagree with you and they all argue about which one's their favorite. But I think what's interesting about the Beatles is it moves from like this place of kind of very simple fun to wildly experimental psychedelic trip out, you Mm -hmm. know, kind of music. And I think it's kind of the same way with movies where for me, the Beatles, I like to land somewhere in that middle ground where it's like still kind of fun, but also a touch of experimental and, um, yeah, like with the movies, I think it's the same where there's like, I want both. And there's some movies that do this concoction that fit with me just right. Um, whereas I, d- I don't want to watch, I'm thinking of ending things. It's just painful to sit through. I just, my goodness, I can't. Well, I hear you conceding the point, so let's move on um, to, JD's <laughs> qu- <laughs> to JD's question, um, which is... If you could take a writer who died before the invention of film, who would you bring back from the dead to write a movie? Um, I want you to answer this first because um, I think this is a pretty good question. A writer? Hmm. This, yeah, this is really interesting. I, I mean, I'm not like a huge I can't say I I know my writers very well mm-hmm. um despite having a decent understanding of history I'm trying to think of something that I don't know like honestly the first thing that I thought of it it kind of comes back to like my own Christian faith but there's a lot of writers in the Bible that are interesting writers and it would be unique to see some of their perspectives represented um I could see some film. like Old Testament writers being like yeah. really, really awesome, uh, you know, awesome I mean, filmmakers. Despite what your beliefs are, you know, I think the Old Testament is massively underrated. Definitely, um, with, with with its yeah. with its writing, there are some very interesting. I mean, famously, Cameron and I have talked about the Book of Ecclesiastics, which is written by um, King Solomon, which is supposed to be the wisest king. It's one of the most depressing books in the New Testament. Um, it just it's how awesome. everything is meaningless. Yeah, it's it is it is a great book, but I would say King Solomon probably has a very inter- would have an interesting take on film. Um, I think he'd have I an awesome have... film career too if he did like. Oh yeah, he would he would have like his happy like love story movies, and then he'd have just like dark and depressing movies. <laughs> It'd be awesome. He, he would be he would he would definitely make a film about a man that had everything but. Could not figure out why he was empty. Yeah, he'd made but like maybe, Citizen Kane. <laughs> yeah, it maybe maybe it was very. It would be very much like, um, I don't know, some sort of like, like I could also see them doing something very visual, almost like Playtime, which we watched um, for the mm-hmm. podcast, where it's like it's difficult to even like. I feel like King Solomon would be someone who'd be like not very exposition heavy, but very visual and like you're looking at something that makes you feel empty, but you can't explain why, <laughs> you know, cause that's like what he's faced with a lot in, in the old Testament. Right. Um, so that, I, 
yeah, I think I, I mean, I've spent a lot of time obviously working for a church and whatnot, you know, reading the Bible and whatnot. There's some, there's some good stuff in there. Don't be sleeping on that. That's good writing material. I, I mean, honestly, Even just thematically, I think thematically, yeah. especially. Yeah. Uh, cause I always hate the, the dumb like remakes of Bible stories cause they're always so bad, <laughs> but you know, but like theme, theme wise and even just story wise, you could take a story structure from the Bible, from the old Testament. And I know a awesome lot of, movie. a lot of Christian people have wanted an HBO series for the story of King David. And I just, I mean, I think it's kind it would still be difficult to do, but it is pretty great. It's pretty crazy. There's some good twists and turns. I mean, mm. Jonathan, Jonathan's betrayal of his father. I mean, that's good yeah. stuff. Yeah. You know? No, true. Um, yeah. I mean, for me, I look, I go back to um, Greek thought and Greek philosophy a lot. So mm. I would love to see like an Aristotelian um, version of, uh, you know, I don't know how they would do it. It probably, it might just be like a, a movie about like all talking or something, you know, they're all like debating or something. I don't know, but 12 but, angry men. Yeah, it could, it could <laughs> 12, be honestly. Um, 12 but, angry Italians, <laughs> Greeks. Okay. <laughs> Greeks. Um, but I, I think, I think it could be interesting to see sort of a Greek, um, you know, a Greek version because one, I mean, what have the Greeks been doing? basically since since you know the ancient times basically nothing so <laughs> the age of the greeks is gone <laughs> so you know do we even have greek movies i don't know i, I couldn't tell yeah you. my big fat greek way <laughs> um another person i think would be really really interesting and maybe i wouldn't even like their movies uh but <laughs> why, why are you still just, laughing okay just cracking, i'm cracking up at my own joke i can't um, another person who I think I'd be, I'd be interested in seeing who I would, would probably make just like amazing, um, like, like almost just like experimental, like feeling movies would be someone like Walt Whitman, um, making just very, like, very, like, I don't know, like, like I could imagine like, like experimental, like soft movies about like feelings from, from him and very like naturalistic in some ways. I, I just, I could, I could see myself being into that or hating it. Absolutely. So, you know, could, could go either way. Um, JD brings up like Shakespeare, I think would, I think it's pretty obvious that if Shakespeare was a filmmaker, um, He'd probably be be extremely su- successful. So um, I th- I think that's pretty I've, obvious. The fact I that think sh- the fact that Shakespeare has like so many remakes of his stories in you know in film, um, you know, I, I think I think it's clear. But you know, is Shakespeare a real person? Was it multiple people? I don't know. I can't say. So modern Romeo and Juliet, the gangster version. I've seen that one. Yeah, Romeo plus Juliet from Baz Luhrmann. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty good i had fun watching that in high school there was another one i watched that was kind of modern that was like hamlet but i think it was just regular themed but it was modern just hamlet watch that one too yeah you mean like the lion king oh no not the lion king um yeah i mean they're making all, the Co- uh one of the coen brothers is making uh a macbeth movie next year so 
Oh, maybe it was Modern Macbeth, like Apocalypse Macbeth. Oh, like twenty fourteen. Yes, Macbeth. Yes, yeah, that movie's boring. So. Yeah, we had to watch that in school. <laughs> really? I being kind of, I kind of be confused by okay. that. Well, like, Kenneth Branagh made um, made a made did make a Hamlet movie, um, which was like four hours long. It's all right. It's pretty good. I like to I like to make Beth's story more than Hamlet. Yeah, me too. Macbeth is is a much better. Well, the thing about the thing about Shakespeare that I think would be interesting is he would also be like a Billy Wilder character where he has movies that are like just straight comedies and then he has more like serious movies. Um and I think that could be good. I think I think you you would have to hit Shakespeare at like the right time in Hollywood too. Cause, cause a lot of his humor is based on like innuendo and on, um, you know, on that sort of, that sort of, uh, hiding the ball a little bit of, of what he's talking about. And so like, I think he could, if, if Billy Wilder was just Shakespeare, you know, he like, it would be, it'd be awesome. What if, uh, Shakespeare just his writing translated in the modern language was just like the Grand Theft Auto five script. <laughs> Just like <laughs> what? <laughs> just like absurd, like <laughs> crazy comedy or something like that, you know? Uh, well, well, and he also mentioned Edgar Allan Poe um, and Homer. So I, I think, I think Edgar Allan Poe could be an interesting, it, but it could also just be like uh, um, Tim Burton, you know? <laughs> you could just make Tim yeah. Burton movies. So I don't know. Let's get um. Let's get <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> um, I I just looked up some uh, American writers. Man, I don't really want to talk about any of these because I feel like I'm failing a, a high school test. <laughs> um, I was gonna say uh, I was gonna say let's get some of the writers of the Constitution to make a movie. No, Can you imagine that? No, it'd be that bad. Would be, that'd be very boring. It'd be boring, yeah. Yeah. It'd be like the Patriot. Well, they wrote a lot of, you know, didn't they write books too? They must have been writing books. Not fiction books. Well, I guess you're right. Benjamin Franklin might be a good. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah. He could be a good filmmaker. I think I could see it. Hundred percent. I think he would. Um, feel like he would write. He he would be like a Spielberg esque. Yeah, definitely. But he's kind of a modern day Solomon, though. So. The Way to Wealth by Benjamin Franklin. 30-day return policy on Amazon. <laughs> Amazon goes back <laughs> Amazon goes back to just selling books. Uh, awesome. Well, uh yeah, his books look a little, you know, insightful, but not necessarily artistic. I don't know yeah. if he had an artistic touch. So well, Cameron, I think that wraps it up. Even if you have some more questions, we'll save them for the next show. We hit two hours, so. I'm sorry this episode is running a little bit behind, but it is out on Monday. It'll be out by midnight. So we made it. Cameron, you're like, I don't want to wrap it up. <laughs> no, I'm okay. Like, I, I don't want to. I got to pee. So, you know. <laughs> oh, you looked annoyed. I was like, oh, geez. I no, no, no. I keep going. I'm very happy to wrap it up. Um, <laughs> very happy. <laughs> I'm still laughing at uh, my big fat Greek wedding comment. <laughs> I'm just imagining like that movie is teleported and screened in ancient Greece. Yeah. I think and they're just sitting, I think they're just horrified. sitting there like, 
It'd be like, you know what it'd be like? It'd be like the, the Plato story where there's people in the caves and there's cave drawings and like, you know, there's just light uh, on the caves and then somebody turns around, they, they walk out of the cave and they realize they experience real life. That's what that's sh- showing them my big fat Greek wedding would be. <laughs> that's what ended the great age of the Greeks, dude. <laughs> Someone went back in time, showed them that movie. They're like, why are we even trying? Yeah. Why are we even trying to do anything? Yeah, 100%. So, well, okay, that wraps it up. Thanks, guys, for listening. We post every Monday, even if it's super late. And about Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. All right, there we go. All right. <laughs>